and you're tuned in and you're watching this, if you're Irish or you're Scottish or Welsh, it doesn't matter. Uh, this is a colonial kind of a issue we're having in Ireland. The name of this is, um, in the name of solidarity, but it's also outside the colony, I call it. And that's just a way of thinking. It's not literally physically outside a colony. It's just a way of thinking outside of conventional thinking. My name is Bernard Sweeney. I'm an Irish traveller and I'm based here in Sligo in the northwest of Ireland. Joined with a legend, um, Mr. Aldoff Reid Jr. So this is Wikipedia. If anyone wants to know what Wikipedia is, it's the poor man's university. <laughs> because when you're, when you're segregated <laughs> from the institution, it's not a bad place to go. Right. Aldoff yeah. Reid Jr. is an American professor um, of political science at the University of Pennsylvania specializing in studies of issues of racism and U.S. politics. He has taught at Yale Northwestern and a new school for social research and has written on racial and economical equality. Mr. Reid, would you like to add to that? I'm good. Thanks a lot, Bernard. I appreciate it. Okay. And we're also my good friend, Dylan Foley. Who's oh, there. wait, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I will add one thing. It's a shameless plug, but, but my newest book is called The South. Jim Crow and its afterlives. And it was just out in January. It's published by Verso, so it's available in Ireland and the UK. Absolutely. So Dylan Foley is an archaeologist, historian. And yeah, let Dylan tell him, give his uh, spiel and tell us uh, what he's up to. I was officially an archaeologist. I studied archaeology and, well, computers and that back way back in 2000 or so, well, a while ago now. I was a field archaeologist, so I wasn't ah. really. So I used to follow the machines around mm. Ireland, that kind of thing. Uh, Bernard would know that I come from the same town, where me and Bernard uh, from the same place. So um, certain, uh, how would you put it, uh, the, 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 the archaeology in Ireland was very much kind of created on, under, as what Bernard would say, you know, come, came out of kind of the, uh, when Ireland was still under the empire, if you know what I mean. And it still mm -hmm. has a lot of those, still has a lot of those kind of, um, things in the background that kind of philosophy going on in the background like as if the the gaelic world is dead and gone and we study it like ancient rome or something and uh. it's unimaginable that there could be anything in the present that would be anything you know any consequences in the present um so over the years uh, me, me and bernard kind of tried to fit some of the um the history to the to put things into a bit of context yeah because as he describes the uh, the, the, when we got independence in Ireland, but we kind of the state in, tried to construct constructing a new Irish identity that was all modern, and yet at, mm -hmm. the same time, at the same time it meant that they threw a lot of this stuff away that they perceived as being old fashioned. And one of the mm -hmm. big problems was that travellers became victims of that, um, and and uh, we we call them travellers, as Bernard explains. It's a bit of a euphemism, really. It was it was the, the kind of like. Uh, the, the the people the last people still living in the way that Irish had originally lived mm. mm -hmm. that was that was really the problem but that of course this you know the country perceived it as being backward and we were going to be modern and so all of these things had to be swept under the carpet and yeah so but it, we find that in Ireland to try and deal with these problems we kind of it's funny because some people say to me about well, archaeology why would archaeology be involved in it? but huh. you know, but in Ireland, we have to go back quite a bit. We have to go back right. four or five hundred years to, to get to the beginning of some of these institutions and laws. So that's where that's where I probably come in. One of my first frightening moments of realizing there was something not quite right here. One of my first days at school because I'd mm -hmm. seen children in uniform. I never we didn't have uniforms, so even the mm -hmm. uniform was kind of strange. Right. So it was a couple of years afterwards. The village of the damned. That oh, kind of, that yeah, yeah. Up. Yeah, and it stuck with me. It was like an anchor memory. It never left. Huh. Huh. Throughout my life, you know, I was constantly suspicious of the ed education. Not that they were giving mm -hmm. us an education anyway. Right. The closest you got into the classroom was usually at the back of the class, and you'd be told you don't need an education because you'll either collect scrap or keep hard right. or something right. like that. That's why I say outside the outside the colony, and because I come from a cultural mentality also of clan based thinking and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. And it isn't a cry for romanticizing history or to go back in time. We're fully aware we're here now in the now. But we also realize that the people who call themselves the default Irish mm -hmm. are operating in a colonial mentality. Um, and this is why we have this huge conflict is like, who are the travelers, where they came from? Now, if you look at any of the history books, you'll see all our surnames, you'll see all the traditions, you'll see the battles, the wars, the range fights, the range weddings. All of this is in the history book. It's in our community. We've got the same names. And yet these people 
will refuse to recognize that. Hmm. They might say the Gaelic culture is dead. Now, hmm. I'll jump off there for a moment because it was something that I actually never really took any interest in it, in American politics in general, <laughs> but more so, and I've been watching it, and it was the midterms. I had never heard hmm. of the midterms till this time around. <laughs> yep. But now there seemed to be such a significance attached to it. And it's almost like the, the fate of the world hanged in the balance. Right, right. Um, I don't want to sound, make it sound like that view, but it, it is in many ways because we are mm -hmm. pretty much in the Western belt and Western world. So I'm going to ask right. you, did you get a result in the midterms? Would you say you're pleased with the outcome? Uh, I'm relieved more than pleased. Um, I mean, the because uh, for me, I mean, I think, and I wrote an article about this that you may have seen that um, um, uh, about the proximity of the danger of a fascist takeover in America, right? It, it's a real possibility. And many of the Republican candidates who are running, uh, you know, like a lot of these, these people are like a combination of psychopaths and hustlers and, uh, and agents for uh, rich reactionaries, basically. Uh, but but if they won, then they would impeach Biden. Uh, they, they would uh, they couldn't do any more damage on the Supreme Court. They've taken control of that now. Uh, but they would undo like their objective is ultimately to undo every bit of um, um, protective legislation and policy that working people have won over the last hundred years. And they're pretty clear about that. And they use, and like, this is the way that race and categories like race have always functioned as a, um, I've described it recently as uh, the equivalent of a pickpocket's dodge, right? You know how a pickpocket will kind of bump into you up here to get the misdirection so his hand can go behind your wallet. And, and this is what fascism hinges on. It hinges on stigmatizing others, made up others ultimately, uh, you know, immigrants, right? People of different so-called races, and Lord knows there's no such thing as race, and we can talk about that too. Um, so, and it's been successful enough in the U.S. since Trump, ultimately because the Democrats who who present themselves as the as the protectors of the interests of working people have been on the side of the corporations for the last half century. Uh, you know, some of my friends in the labor movement, I would sit around drinking over the years and kind of joke about what's the best way to describe the relationship between the Democrats and the labor movement. And we thought things like, you know, abused child or battered spouse. But what finally, and I don't know if this is a reference that will uh, translate, but what we finally came upon was 2 a.m. booty call, right? Uh, because the Democrats see us as, as or see labor and uh, working people as somebody they can call on the down low when, when the corporations aren't paying attention and come by and gratify themselves and then uh, mainly by taking money and votes and then going back to the corporations and giving them everything that they want and dangle a little promise between us or, or I mean, before us. So what, what I'd hoped could come out of the midterms was some some breathing room, right? Uh, so that if our side would finally begin to organize and go straight to the working class base uh, with concrete uh, agendas that speak to people's needs and concerns, like national health care, for one, for instance. Uh, you know, over the two years between now and the next presidential election, we might be able to build enough of a force to be able to challenge what we know is going to be another fascist you know, onslaught coming at us. I don't know that we have. Uh, um, I know that the outcome is less catastrophic than it could have been. Uh, I'm afraid that the Democrats aren't going to learn anything, that the lesson they're going to take from this was that, see, like all the bullshit they've been doing before was adequate and they don't need to change anything. And some of them are already talking that way. So, I mean, we'll see. But 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 the bottom line is that you know as as a, you know working people and it's, and it's true in Ireland just as it is here. I mean, I've been paying fairly close attention to Irish politics since the um, you know since the Great Recession, and have been kind of stunned at how Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil and the Greens and even God forbid Labour 
uh, are all on the sides of the banks and are all you know able to get away with telling people shit like it's time to wear the green jersey so we need to sacrifice for the fucking banks and while at the same time and i don't know if i'm stepping on toes here either but where it seems to me that Sinn Féin is the only political force in the country that gives half a damn about working people, about uh, the mass of, of, of working Irish people. And again, please correct me if I'm wrong, but what the ruling class parties are able to do is point to a damn bombing, right? Like in the North or in London and say, look, they're all butchers and murderers and so forth and so on. And too many people pay attention to it. So, so well, we've got the same problems, and 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 we need to try to figure out a way to break through. But in, but but in both these cases, like in all cases, I don't think there's any alternative to connecting directly with the great bulk of the working population, which which obviously also includes travelers, to determine what people's actual concerns and needs are and to fight for them openly and uh, you know, unambiguously. And if we don't do that here, we're not going to have a chance. So. Yeah. Um... Just um, you're talking about the class system, working class, middle mm -hmm. class, and again, this is just outside the colony mentality kind mm -hmm. of vision. Uh, we didn't come from the class system. We didn't come from the working class. Right. We didn't come from the middle class. We didn't right. come from the elites. Right. So I can sort of visualize. I imagine you have this a lot of the time yourself. You can take a step back, and yep. because your experiences give you that ability to start with, and so right. you see old Sullivan and O'Grady running around doing your head in because they're talking shite, but right. yet they, they use right. the Irish ancestry labeled to get right. your, your victim mode across well right. i would say and i know this is crossing over to dylan's but i was always interested in that because as, maybe yeah i would see in ireland colonial or working class is also a colonial label on mm. our okay. english colonization mm -hmm. and the first, i think it, it sprung off from the surrender and regrant in ireland many centuries ago where okay. the borders would give up their culture give up their tradition give up their language and adapt an mm -hmm. english law english right and swear allegiance to the English. Right, right. That was around 1530. So come 1620, there was a, a guy who does maps. I think his name was John Mitchell and Seed. And he mm -hmm. had drawn this map of Ireland. And then he had like three categories. And at the very top category was the gentleman um, and the gentlewoman Irish. Mm -hmm. The next one was the civil Irish man wow. and woman. Yeah. And then the bottom one was the wild Irish. Huh. So coming from the community we came from, if I was to fast forward that to the present day, I would mm -hmm. see that the same as the elites, the middle class and the working class. Right, right. Um, and yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. And I'd say, um, yeah, and just Sinn Féin, um, there is a sense of that um, and we have it ourselves uh, because I think they became, they came from a kind of a more working class background mm -hmm. that they have right. that ability to connect with rural Ireland. And well, yeah. Or is it going to inter interrupt you, will I? Yeah, do, please. The, um, uh, no, I, I would say what you're saying is interesting. It's the, um, when you look at Ireland, though, it's uh, very much um, our politics is, um, it's it's kind of based in, the country never really industrialised, only small parts. Mm -hmm. right. I think that's partly what you're talking about uh, there as well, Bernard. Uh, a lot of the Irish population never really involved in, it wasn't urbanised, wasn't industrialised, and right. a, a lot of it was still based on what we would call indigenous culture and more similar to indigenous American culture, even things like that, that were mm -hmm. watching the English culture come into the country and build, mm -hmm. build cities and build that kind of industrial right. capitalist world. And of right. course, a lot of Irish yeah. resistance to that over the, yeah. over the centuries was, it was not just a national resistance, but one, a resistance overtly actually to the kind of monetary system and the state mm -hmm. system, that kind of thing. And, and you'd be right that actually, when you look at it, that thing you're saying about Sinn Féin, it's actually very interesting. The way we, the way I would see it, and uh, some historians, is, is that the Irish dividing line is not is not is 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 from the colonial history. The, mm -hmm. the parties that you're that we're talking about, or the Bernard, we would call settled people, or the one settlers essentially, the mm -hmm. kind of culture of the cities of Dublin that was English originally. Um, in, in all the centuries, Ireland's never, the native population or that mentality has never really had control of the country. And if mm -hmm. you look, if you look at the, um, we had a revolution, we had an attempted revolution in 1916, which right. was, a, was a mix between native resistance, but also was really a socialist revolution, or an right. attempted socialist revolution. Right. And we have a counter-revolution in 1922. Right. And 
really for the last hundred years the country is trying to deal with that counter-revolution and that's exactly what you described those parties Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, all them were were very much represent kind of like what's respectable in Ireland is actually the colonizer culture mm-hmm. and what Sinn Féin and other and represent and including working class and left is kind of lumped with that mm-hmm. they're they're put in with being savages ah okay you yeah. see because it really comes from that whole well that makes sense to me now that you describe yeah. it yeah it really does yeah, yeah. And that's the dividing line and hence when it's not even left and right in the psychology you know they mightn't be conscious of it but right when, when they're talking about Sinn Féin getting power they'll react as if it's like the the Indians getting a hold of the ship <laughs> nice yeah yeah it's not the yeah. same oh it, it's not just ideological this is like yeah. a real visceral fear that wow. that the that the colonists will be you know and, and people aren't aware of it anymore they we all right. act in, we're Irish well, or quite an interesting right. statement by one of the yeah. politicians i think it was fina gale a while back about if Sinn Féin gets in um they have no loyalty to, to the state and then we have <laughs> referenced them as um the, the Sinn Féin tribe Ah, okay. Uh, on another occasion, uh, the leader said, um, "If I'd rather see the wolves back in Ireland than Sinn Féin in government, which the, wow. wolves, the wolves were also associated with the wild Irish. Right, you right. Could say the Irish were living with the wolves. Okay. Of course, it wasn't. It was the other way around. The wolves were living with us. <laughs> we, we have that difficulty, uh, as Mr. Reid was pointing out there, we have that difficulty that they can just point, they, they can undermine any uh, even like coherent... Uh, socialist arguments and things like that right, but by, right. just, by just pointing like as you said about the bombs and all that that has a long history going way back and they just say ah oh, we see they're, they're they're savages they're terrorists they're right. not right and we could go back centuries and we would see the same kind of rhetoric you know? wow yeah 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 this is fascinating it makes perfect sense but i wonder <clears throat> pardon me if you think there's some way to overcome or like to undermine you know that over time yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that's what uh, part of that correct. Partly that that story is what Bernard's described. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, tra- the travelers they they quashed traveler history. Do you remember Bernard? You were right. mentioned the nineteen sixty three report and all that. The fundamental thing was that they quashed by by actually erasing traveler history. They actually said, "Oh, the travelers don't have a history." Um, oh, wow. yeah. and, and even though they have, even though as Irish clans they have a thousand years of history, right? Right. But they success. They were successful during the twentieth century, in the middle of the twentieth century, in in kind of erasing it, the conscious uh, consciousness of any history amongst the travellers and amongst what we call the settled amongst the settled Irish, the you know mm-hmm. mixed uh, Irish that I come from as well. And yeah. um, um, that, that that it's it's so exactly the project that Bernard and myself working on is exactly that. We think that by reconnecting traveller and history. It kind of uh, brings things into focus. Um, uh, how do I put it? Allows us allows us to get back behind that counter revolution, back to the yeah, original, yeah, back to the original nineteen uh, aims of the. Uh, there, the there was 19- a build up, say I think around nineteen ten. You would have um, so later, like people like James Conley, um, right, you right. Had Douglas Hyde. You had yeah. um, all these people, and they went into the west of Ireland from Dublin. So Dublin had paid them to go in and create a Gaelic image so wow. all of these people went into um ackle island inishmore and the tinker culture mm-hmm. so they brought back their paintings their playwrights their poems their songs huh. actual fact devalera's wife uh, Sinead, had played the part of the fairy to douglas hyde's uh, tinker so they mm. knew who we were so all them um, they created this image and brought to dublin now if you think about it why would dublin be going into the west of ireland for a gaelic image unless they were not irish they're operating mm. in an old English way of thinking. So right. they needed a green cover to pull over themselves. Okay. Declare themselves as the new Irish. Okay. So come 1922, there was a lot of suppression. It wasn't just travelers. And we don't right. separate ourselves from the rest of the population. We're consciously mm-hmm. aware that whatever human being is genetically related, we get right. it. So all we could ever be talking about is mentalities and cultures and world right. views. Right. Um, so come 1922, uh, it, we were probably some of the first they get suppressed. But that mm-hmm. wasn't just us. It was the arts also. They squashed mm-hmm. the arts because if you think about it, the 1916 was built upon arts. Uh, ah, Yates, okay. William Yates and all oh, these yeah. poets. So they created the, that kind of revolution. Then come 1937, uh, and even at that point, Dublin had their own legal system. 
1936, after the Free State, they were still operating on a different legal system than the rest hmm. of Ireland. So oh, only, really? Yeah. It was only in 1937 when they done the Constitution that they had to hmm. kind of uh, broaden it out. It all became Irish Constitution. Mm-hmm. But in there, poor Sinead, de Valera's wife, no longer could be an actress because in the Constitution, they had resided women to the home. Ah, uh, of course. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, And women played a pivotal role in the 1916 uprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyone that represented the old uh, revolutionary uh, makeup, the Tinker culture, the Gaelic culture, women, right. James right. Conley. Now, yeah. you think about James Conley, and this I know little about anything, but I always sense that the guy, he died because he tried to apply Gaelic principles. And a lot mm-hmm. of people have missed that part. So they come say that James Conley stood for uh, socialism and all the things that he did stand for, but he actually right. died trying to get the Gaelic principles across the line. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I would say that. Yeah. We'll let you speak there. The um, I, w- I was only going to say that Mr. Connolly, yeah, Connolly was the main driver. So we had a socialist revolution in 1916, as I'm sure you're aware. Right. Yeah. Mr. James Connolly had been heavily influenced by working in America in the IWW. Right. And of course, right. His, his yeah, but, uh, yeah. In fact, I saw the, uh, well, but I saw the wall where Connolly was executed. Ah, right. Yeah. In Dublin, yeah. 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 His, his genius at the time was, that I would see was that, and this is what we lost, and this is what you were asking a minute ago when you're saying, can we see a way out of it? But mm-hmm. we're trying to reconnect that history because we were trying to recover a little bit of what, why why had tra- why had the states so suppressed travelers, for example? Why had they mm-hmm. segregated them? Why had they took away the history? All that kind of stuff. And as right. Burns alluded to, the idea was to make themselves a legitimate identity of Irish. The tra- right. travelers had right. no, no identity. Right, right. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And in 1916, I mean, one of the things that James Connolly had been very, uh, one of his bits of genius that I had seen was that he had managed to link the the settlers' identity, the working class people, the industrial, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and everyone who was marginalised in that way to the original native Irish uh, yeah, yeah. struggle for uh, anti, which was also anti-colonial, but had not been right. socialist overtly, you know what I mean? Because it, right. but he managed to link the two by saying, well, they're the same struggle. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. which is another reason he had to die. But when we think about, say, the laws even today, like, um, they take the travel organisations, they're operating mm-hmm. on two departments, and that's the Department of Criminal Justice and so on support, and the other department is the Department of Health. Now, in mm-hmm. the 50 years, health statistics and issues that we never had before, we have them now. And this is with good people, with good intentions, with investment mm-hmm. and funding. Overrepresented in the prison service, and mm. dropping date. There, a couple of months ago, we had five children that took their lives from the age of nine to the oh. age of 13. Oh, my and God. We're trying to raise these issues for a very long time. It's not because we're blaming them. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we know I, I'm convinced because this has been going on so long and people got re-educated from 1922 back into the old English way. Because mm-hmm. if you didn't change Trinity College or Manute College or the King's Inn, well, therefore, mm-hmm. your children were going to grow up thinking this was their reality. Right. Well, Come a couple of decades right. afterwards, you could not recognize travelers. They said we were gypsies. Mm. They said we were Roma. Right. We were failed, right. settled people that were dropouts from society. All the things that the are bombarded travelers. Mm-hmm. So we were segregated right. in all the systems. And this is why there's a lot of psychological issues around identity and stuff like this. Because right. we're told one day we're one thing. We were told right. another day yeah. there were something else. Yeah. Uh- uh, uh, yeah, I suppose that one of my great great grandfathers, Charlie Collins, would have been one of them. What was his surname? Collins. Collins. Yeah. Oh my, we could we could be related. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, you look a little bit like him. That's funny. Uh, and my other great grandfather on my mother's side was Scottish, so we could uh, be related there also. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's a McDonald's. So uh, uh, his branch of the family went to Cuba. And my grandmother's, or, or well, yeah, my grandmother's branch was in Louisiana. So Collins was in Louisiana, and McDonald was in Cuba. Wow. So yeah, so uh, we uh, so we could be cousins for all we know. I, I believe so because there's a there's quite a large Collins uh, traveler family in Ireland. Oh, oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the settled Collins. But again, this is just yeah. nothing about um, separate people. It's just about right. how grow up. Like, right. take the working class, the middle class, and the elites. I always seen that as like a segregated education system. Right. And that was yeah. the only thing that would ever divide the people in the first place. 
So if you've got the public schools for the masses, then you've got the universities for the middle classes, and mm-hmm. then the elites actually ran the whole system anyways. Right. So that right. System yeah, that's for, right. That system ran for centuries. That's why right. you have this kind of um, psychological divide between these people. And this is why, in order to skip them back again about to fascism, racism, and mm-hmm. I come from a community that has been excluded. So mm-hmm. you're not seen as intelligent unless you have an education. Right. And the people with the education believe themselves also to be intelligent. Right. And right. this was rubbing people up the wrong way constantly. Right. You find in America also, because all these people are human beings. They're just hurt people. Right. They're not actually right. fascists. They're not even racist. No. Some of them are too stupid to know the difference, and some of them are too hurt to even care. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, it's really true. I think if you come along with a bit of an education, a bit of a strategy, you can take advantage of a lot of people like that because you'll feed into their fears and feed into their anxieties. Because the NGOs, and even what we call the left here, um, are always trying to tell us, and it's not their fault because, again, they're lovely people. But Alan Watts would say, the road to hell is paved with good (laughs) intentions. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So they were telling us it's a state. Yeah. The state is racist, and so right. on. Or we're thinking, yeah, it's a bit more complex than that. Right. Um, it's not about race, because when you compare what has happened to Irish people and Irish travelers today, it's almost identical in many ways that happened in other colonies with other people. Oh yeah, so sure. I would, I would recognize that that um, people of color would say um, people who are not white, not from the Western world. I believe they did get it more psychologically worse, at least because they weren't prepared for it. At least in Ireland, we were clan-based people. Right, yeah. our shows, they had the same complexion, and we're more times than often, history would tell us we used to beat the shit of them. We right. just got unlucky, unlucky on one time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Re- really unlucky that one time. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, maybe your thoughts on that, because I know we're kind of... I, I mean, for me, I'll scatter from right here to the 1600s and back again, and I yeah. confuse people, I imagine. Well, I'd like to do that too, actually. Uh, you know, but first, uh, yeah, I have a question for you guys. Um, what do you think about um, travelers having been declared an ethnic group, right? I mean, I understand the administrative benefits that can come come with it, right? I also understand uh, the the less pleasant consequences, right, that can come from it. And I'm just curious, what uh, I, I mean, how you think about it. Yeah, it, it's, it, it comes down to, I suppose, uh, identity, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, would, I would say, because when you learn, we get a bit older, you learn a bit more. Again, I mentioned that all human beings are 99.9% genetically related around right. the world. Right, that's um, right. So all the good ever we talk about is identity and culture. Right. Uh, yeah, which is funny as hell. I mean, just to make a plug, that, that there is more genetic variation between two groups of chimpanzees that live on different sides of the same river than there is among the entire population of homo sapiens. So, so yeah, like we're all basically the same thing. That's it. And I suppose our brain is being, is, it's programmed. I, right. I like to borrow a bit of a, a guy, Professor Robert Sorpolsky, who, uh-huh. uh, who I emailed a couple of times. I, I tried to approach the very professional biologist approach. Oh, yeah. I told mm-hmm. him, come back to Ireland, everybody's colonized, and he'll be famous once he... <laughs> but that, that didn't work so well. Huh. Well, he was also a zoologist. Oh, okay. And I tried the zoologist part. I said, there was a guy mm-hmm. in Ireland once upon a time, his name was uh, Charles Kingsley, and mm-hmm. he had referred to um, Irish people as white chimpanzees. Oh, yeah. Right. I said, you work with chap- chimpanzees. You think <laughs> there might be something into it? You think we should talk? <laughs> but he, he's very busy at the moment writing a book, <laughs> but I will get him on sometime. So, yeah. I'll just finish off slightly like over Dylan, because I know you asked a question. I know I wander and then I'll mm-hmm. rant and I'll talk and I won't when I when to stop. I'm the uh, same way, brother. The end, <laughs> if the part for Hulls was we would have been okay with everything if everything mm-hmm. had been okay with Hulls. In other words, if we right. were segregated, yeah. excluded, degraded, right. othered, well, then we wouldn't have known the difference either. We too right. would have grown up in a natural environment. Right. For centuries, and this is recorded, my parents went through it, their grandparents went through it. Their grandparents went mm-hmm. through it. My children are going through it. And I'm sure my grandchildren will go through it. So in parallel, there was this other mentality. And we call it the colonial mentality. Mm-hmm. That had other tolls regardless. So if we didn't care about identity or culture or anything else, they kept reminding us. Right. 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 Definitely it does. Yeah. Yeah. All I was going to say was that I, that was one of the reasons that we ended up working together is exactly the, to that question you were saying about ethnic status. There was that campaign was happening a few years ago 
mm-hmm. just, just before the and by the way the the, the Taoiseach uh, he, he, he announced it but he also was really careful to say that there's no laws no legislation being enacted <laughs> uh, it's, it's a symbolic <laughs> thing but yeah. right. and the wider society and will create no new individual no new constitutional or no new financial yeah. rights but at the same time I, I had I was in contact with Bernard at the time because we were kind of I was wondering myself I was kind of thinking this is strange from the and exactly why the likes of me looking at the longer past I was kind of intrigued because I was thinking this in the absence of of a proper history this is a very strange decision to make right yeah, because yeah. What, what you're doing is declaring your you're declaring that what was the majority culture in the country a few centuries ago you're now declaring these people to be an ethnic minority in their own country right yeah as you said that that could have i mean on the i I didn't know it's up to bernard and obviously the community to decide what's best but the thing was that it was the uh uh, bernard's great uh the ones that you have the conflict with all the time the government sponsored uh ngos as we call them not yeah yeah that were really pushing this and this was a great thing but it was being pushed in the absence of any narrative uh, that really made any sense the the, the idea mm-hmm. was that travelers were just had no history and were similar to roma who had come in from outside right or uh, uh, gypsies like european gypsy right. yeah we know they came from outside so they didn't have roots in the country but this would still uh, they were given ethnic status which yes would have some benefits but on the other hand there it would copper fasten the idea that they did not have any, there was no claims to address, uh, no injustice uh, coming right. from the past or by right. the state. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I was wondering. Right. I mean, and, and it's funny, man. Like I have you know, actually read people, uh, scholars supposedly, who have tried to argue that travelers are in fact Roma. And I thought, come on, how fucking ridiculous can that be? Right. I mean, but just make it up. Right. Yeah, well, it's it was been the state policy, wasn't it? Since since 1963, at least it was kind of seems to have been a state. I, I suspect here mm. uh, what happened was that the state became embarrassed. It's like mm-hmm. a, a colonial shame, I'll call it. Because yeah, yeah. You had to identify these people in a cultural norm. That mm-hmm. means in who are we kind of thing. And right. if we already told the world that we are the Irish, and now there's two different cultures. That makes things complex. Right. It was actually in the Kenny, there was um, a doll. He was saying there'll be no oh, yeah. financial mm-hmm. benefits and there'll be no constitutional <laughs> changes. And then he was careful, and I've seen this several times, to say a people within a people. Mm. So he was sending out the message that these are a degenerated group that broke away from us and we're not right. letting them credit them as recognize them as a culture. Right. And then there was a it was a documentary a while back, which actually was life saving for me because I was sort of I grew up with this stuff, even without mm-hmm. an education, which is absolutely traumatizing in itself. Right. Because you're locked within your mind without a formal education. But I already had experienced this, and I got bits and pieces growing up. Malcolm X, um, Angela Davis, even if it was mm-hmm. on the TV, I yeah. didn't recognize, actually, what, what's happening to you seems to be also happening to us. Right. But I could never make the sense of it because I was too young at the time. Right. Well, I grew up sensing this anyway with it, with it, but they were always careful to word the narrative. So in other words, a people within a people would uh, dissolve any kind of indigenous culture on the island. As other words, the settled mm. people are the indigenous culture, we are other. So a documentary uh, came okay. up on the geneticists, and mm-hmm. the geneticists were saying that there was a divergence 360 years ago, which is perfectly fine because that's when, Dylan will tell you, that's when the Elizabethan conquest kicked up mm-hmm. okay. and with that they brought in what they called penal laws making people mm-hmm. ashamed of their language their traditions their customs and so okay. on then there's right. another one called the martial law and martial law could go from one year to 60 years and that was specifically designed to kill the gales i mean mm-hmm. historians recognize this it was like mm-hmm. uh, open shooting season and this is why mm-hmm. you have some travelers where their genetic markers become isolated because mm-hmm. people were taken for the hills and the bogs and the woods. Ah, okay. Anywhere they could survive. For right. 60 years of what? A couple of generations. Right. But even in that, they were saying that the travelers diverged from the settled population. And so they're racializing the travelers, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah they, they, absolutely. Yeah. But in, a, in a way, there was, there, it, was, it wasn't realistic and it wasn't strange because we're right. not going to say we're ethnic minority, but right. in my head, I would say visualize, say, someone like Mark Charles, 
he would be indigenous to America because he came from the indigenous tribes. Oh, so yeah, right. He's an indigenous right. person. Right. So, and if you say, I'll just use an example, say African-Americans taken from their land, mm -hmm. they brought to America, they were recognized as people without their land. Right. So to say right. the travelers were right. ethnic was the same as saying they were Roma, that we came uh, right. from the land. Right, that's right. But this was the state uh, narrative. They do everything they right. could to make it look like the travelers were something else and we right. were the normal people. Uh, right. But that's what okay. they got a lot of their EU funding from, I'd imagine. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, I thought you mentioned that right at the beginning, which makes sense too. Yeah, uh, yeah, thanks. I'm learning a lot. Um, I hope we're having your, your brain melted over. Oh, no, no, no. Down, this is fabulous, right? Because I'm really interested in this, right? So, uh, for a variety of reasons. One of them, uh, which uh, you know, something you just said kind of sparked in my head. Um, you know, as a young activist in my 20s, and I admit also as a Catholic, uh, I was very much in, invested in the struggles in the North uh, and actually met some, met Bernadette Devlin once, like in the US, uh, well, when I was in my early 20s. So, like, I, what I saw that as part of my struggle yeah, in the they, same way. Bernadette Devlin comes from the Chandler background. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, and then, like, in the same way, I saw the Palestinian struggle as part of my struggle and the parallels between the Irish and the Palestinians, but, but, but especially, like, on the archaeological front, are, like, so, so striking. But, but another thing that people don't talk about much, and I'll send you this article when we get off, but there's a guy named Leonard Legio who wrote an article in the mid-1970s called the, the English Origins of American Racism. And, and it was an argument that the British developed and um, um, advanced race theory in their conquest of Ireland. And then they exported it like from Ireland to, to to the New World and then later to Australia and stuff. So yeah, I mean those links are all there, man. It's all so so I'm completely fascinated by learning all this. Yeah, so we could see that the way that and Dylan I'll take this one over again. It's a kind of um, because when you went to the Gaelic society, we didn't have the same laws. We had Breton law. Mm -hmm. And English yeah. law then was from common law, which came from Roman right. law, which came from Moses law and Hammurabi law and so on and so forth. So that one way, that was over that direction. It all mm -hmm. came to Ireland. Ireland for a very long time was already a distinct ethnic group from the rest of Europe. In other words, they had mm -hmm. a kind of a Gaelic mentality, the right. sort of feudal system. Mm -hmm. So even say the laws that were happening in Ireland from the 1600s onwards and the surrendering grant, Irish people, their children would grow up in an English environment. They mm -hmm. didn't grow up with English law. And that right. would be the reality. So it was kind of, it was shipped out into America. And I'm mm -hmm. shipped out to other places. Go ahead. The school, there was a and very interesting. When I went to a university in Galway, it was very interesting. I think uh, Canny, as uh, Bernard would be familiar with him, historian called Canny. Uh, but there was a, him and a few others in this sort of school of history there that used to take it for granted that that the hist that the frontier, the idea of the frontier, mm -hmm. for, for many centuries, the pale around you know the pale around Dublin. Right. And for centuries, that was the, the line of the conquest. Uh, that was the line of, you could call it uh, feudal Europe, you know, the English uh, city, the cities, sorry, Dublin was there. And then the pale was that narrow boundary around it. And beyond that was the, what Bernard describes, the wild Irish. Mm, okay. For many centuries until the 17th century, that was, that was the, that was the extent of the English possessions in Ireland. Oh, okay. And to the point where, as they often say that beyond the pale, meaning, right. Meaning, really out there right uh, basically comes from that okay. um, so um yeah so the so the um uh what was i trying to say there yeah there was a school that, that's what i was going to say they, they used to teach us that the same thing that in the 1600s when they started to expand across ireland uh, and this is one of the things that bernard's describing what we what we the, as each step we take back in history every century back to the 1600s Travelers are less and less. They become the majority eventually. What we would mm. call travelers now eventually just becomes what Irish people, Irish culture is. Okay. And it's and the actual, the the sort of capitalist Europe or the feudal capitalist Europe that we would know only was within the pale. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so when they begin the expansion, they they expand westward, 
and they start building forts and stuff. And it was mm-hmm. a school of thought that actually they 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 at about sixteen oh three and sixteen oh seven when they defeated us at Kinsale, the way was open, the sea mm-hmm. route was open, and off they went into the into the Virginia. Ah, okay, yeah. And actually, you can trace a lot of the same car. The idea of the 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 Wild West, mm-hmm. the, the the idea of the frontier, the idea of civilization, ah, right, being behind the pale would right. Would, would be something that would match um, uh, very closely with what you said about that scholar to, in the 70s talking about. Oh, yeah. Also, the idea of the, the Irish were the original ones that they applied all of these kind of laws to about, like, they're inferior and, right. you know, started to construct this whole kind of colonial um, concept of, like, we're in charge because we're naturally superior. And right, right. Inferior. And it was really it was interesting because it was actually at this point where there wasn't a, there wasn't any different color, so it had to be based on right, right. other colors. Well, yeah, and uh, frankly, I mean, uh, there's been a lot of work on this too. That color didn't even become a way that people most um, frequently or most conspicuously saw 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 a difference. That that in itself was a product of of the expansion of 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 the imperialist enterprise. Uh, you, you know, to Africa, Asia, and Latin America, right? But but uh, but before that, I mean, people didn't even recognize color, right? Height, right? Uh, clothing. Um, so yeah, so, so it makes perfect sense, right? And I mean, uh, and I may mean, recall, like in the 19th century here, and I guess in England too, um, um, what would be called eth- ethnologists, or even I mean, anthropologists, or you know, race theorists really um, imagine that they could see significant physiological and morphological differences between Irish people and English people. And even for that matter, uh, in the Victorian era, um, English biologists were convinced that the English working class was racially different from the aristocracy, right? (laughs) uh, Even as you fast, fast forward, right, toward the present, well, I mean, who can tell the difference between a Serb and a Croat, right? Except that one crosses like this and the other crosses like, like that. But that's the only fucking difference. But they imagine that they can perceive deep differences. And the Tutsis and the Hutu, right? It's the same thing, right? right, right. It, it's, it's a conflict <laughs> that gives people the sense that there are fundamental differences. And it's kind of a matter of, of choosing upsides and being able to defend the side that you choose uh, uh, without having to make an argument, right? It's like, we are fundamentally different from them, right? I mean, therefore we're antagonists. And all this crap about, you know, primordial hatreds and shit, it's all bullshit that's constructed right, right in the present, right in the Middle East too, I mean. But but anyway, I'm going off on a rant. Oh, no, you're I'm not. Sorry. You're not. Keep oh, talking. Oh, that's very important because it's true. Uh, they were they were, and I like what you'd said about the scholar in the '70s. It's a, that's a, exactly how we'd see it. A lot of that story does, from our per point of view, or that story does mm-hmm. begin in Ireland. And sometimes when we when we see the history go, it goes into the West Indies, and we see it in Jamaica, right, right, Barbados particularly, where they were. Yep. And, and then the Irish run into the Irish are transported to the islands, and there's no. It's all chaotic. The- yeah, well, and uh, my son, who's uh, uh, who's a real historian, right? Often, um, has this complaint or, or this discussion with students. He said, "Look, slavery was horrible, right? Totally, right? And there's nothing quite quite like it. But indentured servitude is pretty fucked up too. And the idea of being shipped to here or or Barbados or God forbid Australia." Right, uh, where from the moment you get off the boat, everything and what every living being on the island is trying to fucking kill you, right? With twenty-seven of the most venomous snakes in the world and all the rest of that stuff, uh, was nobody's idea of a good time, right? And people are fucked over, at, but fucked over in different ways, like with different adjectives and adverbs and like different status. But the key point is that we're all fundamentally fucked over in the same way by the same people for the same reasons. I must. I would see that very much like that also, um, because again, when I tell my story, um, it's based on colonization. So mm-hmm. we're aware that colonization went global, so right? But my experiences are everybody else's experiences, right? right. Um, and That's if, right. We, if we can get a, on a, a kind of a sideline and say, "Look, 
your experiences, my experiences, rather than putting right. visions between them, if we right. can project them in front of us. And that's where we'll come back to, to Ireland again. There was a Gaelic culture. There are people at this present moment talking that come from a Gaelic identity and culture. And mm-hmm. we know that culture is real. That had been manufactured in Ireland. It went around the world. And if you look, if you take a step back and look at the Western world, because mm-hmm. the English language itself is made up of other European languages. Right. And it was a very trade-based language. It was a systematic for bartering and so on and so forth. And if you look at America and other Western countries, they're very business-like orientated people. Right. They run right. their countries like companies. But if you take a step right. back and you see Canada, Australia, America, New Zealand, it's almost simultaneously identical to what's mm-hmm. happening to these ethnic minorities, these indigenous uh, people. Yeah. The outcomes are almost identical. High rates yeah. of suicide, unemployment, yep. attitudes. Yep. So for me, it's kind of like if we brought it all back to Ireland, and not mm-hmm. to make us any bit special. Now, if you want to go for a special in Ireland, you have to go to Sligo. That's where the only bit of special left in the world. <laughs> the Gaelic culture. Um, we're beyond. We're beyond the pale. We're, the we're, we're so far. We're so far beyond the pale. It's unbelievable. <laughs> but it, it, it's a point because I would never want to take away from anyone else's experience. Yeah. Right. When sure. Someone says to me that um, I'm a victim of racism because I'm black or because I'm mm-hmm. from China or whatever it might be, and right. we're saying we too fit that description. Yeah. And these yeah. say, no, you can't because you're white. Yeah. And then we're saying, well, this what caused all the issues in the first place. People telling right. people what they couldn't, couldn't be, and wouldn't be. Right, right. But if we could take our experiences and say, look, they're human experiences. They're external right. to us. We cannot blame each other up to this point because this is an ongoing colonial system. And I'm using Ireland as a prime example. If they taught nobody on the island that they were still using English systems, they never taught the children in the school that were mm-hmm. still using English systems. And never taught the children to ever question the state. Right. By default, they are the normal people. They are the state. Right. That's right. You should research and look at is those fringes and others. Right. In Ireland, they were researching the travelers. I mean, for the last hundred plus years, they've been researching the travelers. So mm-hmm. one day I said, more or less, would you ever fuck off and research yourselves? Get <laughs> <laughs> your language. Where did you get yeah. your systems? Yeah. Where did you yeah. get your institutions? Yeah. You yeah. figure that part out, come back and ask us who we are then. <laughs> but, and that, this is the conflict we're having here. Yeah. Well, no. Yeah, that's very good. I mean, so um, just to underscore a point, point you made a couple of minutes ago, I have a good friend who's a former grad advisor of mine whose own family is originally from Dominica in the West Indies, but uh, he works in public health and he's got an ongoing project now comparing class and race and public health outcomes in the US and, and in New Zealand. And just as you were saying about travelers, like all the fucked up indicators uh, that 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 you would expect to find or that you find in the US and, and also you find in Ireland, you find among the Maori. Right. And it's and stuff like, you know, obesity, smoking, right. And heart attacks. Right. Uh, Hypertension. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Exactly. And and certainly that's true with the indigenous population in Canada. Right. And what and in the U.S. So it's all a function of being on the bottom. So, you know, one of the reasons that I developed a, a, um, a reputation about being something like an academic bomb thrower in the in the 80s and the 90s was the idea of an urban underclass had sort of taken shape. Well, I wrote an article about this, I'll send you two, but it had taken shape as, as a way to try to explain inequality. Uh, and it had taken shape just as much among liberals as among conservatives. And what it does in, or did, like in my view, it still does, is basically create a new racial category, right? So. So, so if you think about it like this, by the 1990s, um, explicit embrace of racial bigotry as normally understood, right, among any of the three to five major racial food groups was um, negatively sanctioned in American society, right? I mean, nobody, even racists wanted to admit to being a racist, right? That's right. But the beauty of the underclass idea is that the way that the underclass notion was constructed was that, you know, it's the busted people at the bottom, of course, 
but they and the narratives to explain why they got there or how they're culturally fucked up and backward, very much like 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 we described about travelers. But the beauty of it was that while the, the general underclass population was disproportionately black and Hispanic, it wasn't so completely black and Hispanic that it could be reduced to being a slur on blacks or Hispanics. So it's almost like a new racial construct that does the work of a racial ideology without the stigma that attaches to embracing a racial ideology, if that makes sense, right? Uh, right. I mean, like in the sense that 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 we're also so accustomed now, and like I understand, this is, you know, this is even true, true in Ireland to get uh, what with the hair on the back up if somebody says something hostile about blacks, right, or about in the U.S. about Hispanics, right. But if you can say like the under, you 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 could say whatever you want to say about the so-called underclass. Uh, because it wasn't just black or Hispanic, and I started uh, calling it out for what it was when people did that, uh, and then people thought uh, thought I was in intemperate and an academic bomb thrower. But you know, fuck it. Like if you're gonna bust on the people on the bottom, then like prepare. Well, so there that there's a game uh, um, that. Uh, uh, it's not played much anymore, but but in an urban Black America of an earlier generation, uh, there, there, uh, I, I mean, there was a performance called The Dozens. And what The Dozens was, was like guys you know, out on a street corner or in a pub or something, uh, trading insults to one another. But 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 the insults were 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 about the other person's mother. Right. So so it's like your uh, what your mom is so so fat she could swim in in SeaWorld or whatever. Um and what I've often said, and this I said about the underclass people too, that okay, if you want to play the dozens on poor people, go ahead. But before you start playing a dozen, you need to check and see what your own mother's doing at home because I'm gonna fucking call it out. <laughs> but 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 I mentioned that shaggy dogtail because this is like another version of how the racialization process works, and it's not tied to phenotype. It's not tied to the you know, Africa, Asia, Latin America, right, or Europe. Uh, and in fact, like in the history of race theory, uh, at at its high point around the turn of the twentieth century, the sort of race scientists had deduced that that uh, 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 there were thirty six different races in Europe. So how the fuck could that be, right? Uh, but, but in fact, I, I mean, that was one of the things that basically killed race theory because the or race science, because the harder the race scientists tried to find the definitive differences, right, the boundaries that set off one racial group from, from another, the more they came up against the fact that you, Bernard, pointed out that 99.9% .9 of us is all the same, so that the idea is a fiction. And the harder they tried to prove it, uh, the more they failed. Uh, and then eventually, I mean, that helped to go away among some other things. But but uh, but yeah, anyway, I mean, th this is, no, I take your point about what, I mean, the colonial, uh, uh, the mentality, and especially from an Irish point of view, I see that's a powerful metaphor, right? Right, because it does work the same way, right? It works the same way all all, all over the world. And, and 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 if you guys, as well as for your viewers, if you're interested, uh, Tariq Ali just published a really great book on Churchill. And like I spent my entire life detesting Winston Churchill. <laughs> and I couldn't wait for this book to come out, right? Because I knew that Tariq would really drive the knife all the way into him. And 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 he did it, did an autopsy. And it's fabulous because the book is also. Uh, a good, a really broad uh, account of of colonialism spread across the world, and he's got a couple of nice chapters on Churchill and Ireland, right? Also, but 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 I mean, here's the tease for you know for the listeners. Um, what like I I didn't realize, like I said to Tariq, but I knew he was a worthless son of a bitch, but I didn't know what I didn't realize 
how many of the horrible events of the period between the 1880s and, and when Satan called, called, called them home had, had his fingerprints on them. But an even more delightful little factoid is that his mother, who was... Uh, Not Irish, uh, hopefully. Huh? Not Irish, I hope. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no, 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 better, better. Uh, right, much better. She was an American heiress. Uh, and um, she, uh, well, how should I put this? So Churchill was um, a kind of loser as a kid. And his mother um, bestowed her charms and favors on onto powerful men to help him get through school and and uh, and uh, and get the and uh, you get the naval appointments that the same that he as Forrest Gump, wasn't it? Oh, well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> well, yeah, well, well, yeah, probably. I never saw the Forrest Gump movie because it just felt... his mother had to pay for his uh, medical stuff and his education, so she, you know, she had to favor herself towards. Oh, well, she paid through her underwear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, uh, yes, that was Churchill. Uh, does it not remind? Does it not remind you a bit of Boris Johnson? Boris Johnson of. Oh, oh my God! Yes. Yeah. It's, it's uncanny. It's like his. Right. He actually goes out of his way to act like him too, which he shouldn't because he fits pretty perfect as it is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Tell he really does. Churchill <laughs> uh, was not not popular here, as you can imagine. I'm sure. Uh, uh, right. Chapters go into that, all right, because he was. He was responsible for the black and tans in Ireland. Oh yeah, that's right. Right, that's right. Yeah, and he's a horrible bastard, right? And everything about him. Right. But the only good thing you can say about him is that he's dead. <laughs> Come here, was it was it your son that wrote that book? Or did you put it your son, did you say? No, no, no. Uh no, no, no. There's a fellow named Tariq Ali, uh, who's a, a Pakistani Englishman. Oh wow, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, so I mean he's got uh, he what well, he has his own colonial reasons for hating Churchill. Yeah, then, well, I'm sure we, we, we would share a lot of uh, similarities. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, you asked earlier on, maybe, or maybe you didn't, or maybe I was wishing you would ask, um, how uh, we might sort of change this, how we might turn it. Oh, up. yeah, right. Because well, I grew up unemployed, and I grew up mm. angry, and I grew up vexed, and I came right. later after a while, because Malcolm X got me into trouble about 20-odd years ago. <laughs> when, I thought, when I thought, by going into the NGOs and saying, our nine-to-five oppressors, our friends, <laughs> they must change their roles, because right. if they fall into settled lead, well, then we right. end up as settled people. Right. I was always wanting right. to impose the infrastructure and the support, and it helps create our own democracy, our own system. Right. That's not separate, but in, in the same environment of goodwill, does no mm -hmm. harm to the environment and does no harm right. to us and does no right. harm to anybody else. And then it's because the English language is so coded and mm -hmm. it's so kind of restrictive and it's very blame, is right. that a lot of the people were adapting all the programs from the state. So when mm -hmm. they created a, a, a Traveller Support Group, it was mm -hmm. actually designed in the same program that had colonized Ireland in the first okay, place. Okay, right. Yeah. But 50 years later, with all the supports, all the investment, millions of euros, because we don't mm -hmm. have the worst government in the world, and we don't have the worst EU either, for that matter. Right. Plausible right. falls. But I wouldn't right. want to burn it down. I wouldn't want to crash it. Right. They right. always believe there's something we can add to it, we can fine-tune it. Right. If they don't do that, what we're seeing in America and what we're seeing around the rest of the world is that hurt and anger is coming home? To right. Them. No, that's right. No, that's by these political parties. Right. No, no, that's right. I think that's the most important fact of life in in global politics today. It's all over the world. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with you. And 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 that's what we have to find find ways to address. So, um, if, so with the NGOs um, and the continue, mm -hmm. and again, it's not a, a criticizing because it's it's very difficult. Because on one hand, you can take Stephen Pinker's version of the world is mm -hmm. getting better, less crime. Right. I like that version. Right. I do yeah. like it. It sounds yeah. nice. Oh, yeah, it would. <laughs> but it's almost like in a three-tier system again. I mean, right. on one tier, one particular mentality, that may be the reality. That's what that person sees. Right. But on another tier of it, it looks like, despite all the good things happening, there's mm -hmm. really bad outcomes also coming. Right. Out. So no, that's right. The goodwill of the NGOs and the support groups, they're like right. getting them to campaign and they lobby and they fight. But yes, right. statistically, in 50 years, it has shown psychologically these people are getting worse, worse, and worse, and worse. Right, right. We afford there's something not quite right with that system. So we right. believe it's to do with the mentalities and the psychology. Because we're not trying to separate ourselves as uh, to qualify as victims of racism. Right. We're not playing no, the victims right. either. Because right. we're telling people that 
because your systems is lovely, but um, right. it's not where it didn't come from there. But if we could create our own system, and that's mm -hmm. why I set up the Transvision Foundation, is trying to create a social oh, enterprise, right. and it's particularly around decolonization. Mm -hmm. I believe the whole decolonization doesn't start anywhere other than in your own mind first. Mm -hmm. yeah. One, we have to understand that the tree of Hoz are using a language that would not have been originally ours. So right. now we're using the talk, right. we're going by right. logic and its uh, right. definitions. But I'd like to give you an example for this. Again, in Ireland, all the all the things that are happening to travelers now happen to Irish people at the hands of the English. If right. The English okay. have come up with the term itinerants. They okay. were also calling yeah. them as noble savages. Right. I rather that one than the itinerant right. one. Right. Yeah. One was itinerant, yeah. and then they called us tinkers, and then Irish travelers were born out of that again. So right. why would Irish people inside an English institution using the English systems, using the right. same language and terminology against Irish travelers for the English right. against their ancestors? Right. Yeah, now I hear you. So it's a little bit off off track, I'm sorry, but I thought I would offer like another case of the same phenomenon you're talking about that that maybe some people uh, in, in the audience may uh, may uh, may keep in mind because because these things pop up and they go away but but like if you remember the so-called crisis in Darfur right from a decade or so ago well it turns out and like this is another friend and former colleague of mine a guy named Mahmoud Mamdani who's a political scientist did a great book on 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 the Darfur crisis that was called Saviors and Survivors turns out there never has been any such place as Darfur, right? I mean, this was um, um, a made-up term for a section of Western Sudan that the U.S. State Department and the Israelis principally and the NGO world came up with. There never was a genocide. But most of all, like there never was any real distinction in that part of Sudan between something called Arabs and, and then something called Africans. And 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 what you know from a pastoralist life is that you know there were like at uh, one latitude right there were like cattle pastoralists and at another there were sheep pastoralists and at another there were settled farmers and when climate change largely or most consequentially the advance of the Sahel uh, sort of pushed the cattle pastoralist herders uh, down into the territory of the sheep herders, push the sheep herders down into the territory of the settled farmers. That's when he had conflicts. But the conflicts didn't have anything to do with race. And moreover, it was customary, and I'm sure like this is the case within traveler clans too, that people would marry or move from one clan to another and be absorbed by the new clan and that the identities weren't all that sharp. It all meant something quite different and much more fluid until, as we can all say, uh, you know, with different degrees of inflection, the fucking British showed up. <laughs> yeah, 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 because it's the, one of the specialities, of course, is, is what, 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 what you had said and uh, is, is that, and what Bernard's described to me many times as well, which is that all of these terms, as you would say, Bernard, are labels and they, mm -hmm. Brilliant, brilliant at coming up with labels and using names to make to either other people or right. these, these guys are different for this reason or right this, that's right they're definitely a different race or they're they're your right. enemy right yeah well and and you got to give them credit for for um, a demonic skill because that little piss pot island ran most of the world for most of modern history right? very clever they were very clever at it and right. It was, a little bit earlier, it reminded me of a quote. I was going to say that if anyone believes that that it was really about, um, the, uh, you know, even in Ireland, that the that the wars and all the rest were about um, uh, uh, race or uh, ident even identity or any of that. Mm -hmm. kind of, there were many things involved, but at the end of the right. day, I remember coming. But none of the the English would make out. Oh, they they're fighting because they're savages or they hate right. or they hate right. civilization and all that. Right. Kind of thing. Right. And, yeah. I remember that uh, I had come across a quote from 1519 in Ireland. Ah, okay. I, the, I think the um, the papal nuncio reported, he talked to some Irish guys at the time, and they said uh -huh. they said to him that um, he was representing the English. Uh -huh. he, the Irish had said to him that um, 
that uh, they think they say we're brutal, as in the English, yeah. brutal because we make pro- because they ma- we make private property of the gifts of nature. <laughs> yeah, and that they make yeah. they make sense because um, because they because uh, the Irish we they said we believe uh, that all things should be held in common. Right, that's right. Well, but they did, and they've imposed that all over the world. Yeah, yeah. That's when, right. I seen, when I seen that in it, that's in a letter uh, from fifteen nineteen. Wow. When I, yeah. When I saw that, I thought, oh look, we've been. <laughs> why are we sifting through this stuff? You know, right. yeah. In nineteen sixty three, there was a, a commission report into itinerants uh, by uh-huh. the state, and this yeah. was like a real soft version of forced assimilation. But it was fifteen oh, yeah. after World War Two, so you had to be a little careful. But yeah. it didn't stop them using the language like there can be no final solution till these people wow. are absorbed into the general population. Wow. And yeah. then that's where oh, that's where all the segregation and the other yeah. had be uh, yeah. coming. coming on, Mr. Reid. We really appreciated your time and your um, knowledge. And we oh, hope oh, it's my pleasure. Time. I'd love to do it anytime you want. So, so um, just let me uh, know. We let, we let you finish off with the last few words before we pull down the curtains for tonight. So over to you, Mr. Reid. Well, I don't have much more to say except that uh, I've always felt um, you know, an empathy with the struggle of the Irish, and I've felt it more the more I've paid close attention, and I feel it even more now. And I count you brothers as my comrades, and I look forward to uh, being in touch again and maybe uh, uh, have a pint together at some point. Absolutely. Mr. Reed, thank you very much for your time, and uh, we will we'll most certainly talk again, I've no doubt about that. I might try to get your son on next. He, oh, he, oh, good. He, okay. He did say he was a real historian, so we're looking for yeah. real historians. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 well, I'll send you his contact info. Absolutely, Mr. Reed, right. Thank you, and God bless, and take care of yourself. Oh uh, yeah, you too. Take care.